everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Buyer's Market Podcast. Uh, you're joined here with your host, Matthew Winkelstein. Uh, I'm joined today by Brad Quarter. Uh, Brad's uh, got some cool experience. He's got 20 plus years in power generation. We were just talking about how he built his own pool during COVID. So he's also a, um, a self-construction guy as well. Uh, Brad, welcome to the episode. Thank you. Thanks awesome. for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, so Brad is uh, the owner and president of Paramount Project Consulting, or Project Coaching, I apologize. Uh, Brad and I met through LinkedIn and have uh, connected a couple times. Um, I was really interested in his passion for project management. Uh, my passion for understanding what project managers are interested in uh, led us to have some good dialogue, and uh, now we're very fortunate to have him here on the podcast. Um, so, Brad, we're going to get started like we always do here in the buyer's market. And uh, why don't you tell us how your career started, how you got into project management, and how you started working at a large public utility? Uh, sure. So um, I, uh, I I went to school for engineering. I have a d degree in mechanical engineering. And um, so just like any other novice engineer graduating from school, I got a few job offers and I, I I didn't even know what I was getting into, really. Right, I'm, I'm going to work for a utility. All right, great. That sounds awesome. Um, I and I actually, I actually was pretty excited, really, because I started my career um, in nuclear at a at um, a nuclear uh, generating station, um, I, and um, almost immediately when I when I joined, I was thrown right into a huge project. Um, in the nuclear world, um, one of the largest projects you can do is replacing the the main steam generators. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the pieces of equipment that generate st steam off of the reactor. And those are big, big pieces of equipment, huge projects. They take years and years to plan. And, and the execution is, is, um, dumbfounding, honestly. Uh, so I was involved in that project right, right out of the gate in my career. Uh, and, you know, just soaking up all the, all the information I could possibly learn from all the, the more experienced guys around me. Uh, when that project was over, um, I, I stayed on at the nuclear plant for a little bit longer, and then I decided that I really liked projects. So I transferred um, to our non-nuclear side in power generation and did several projects um, as a lead engineer. Um, one, of the, one, of the, one of the highlights of my career, um, I was uh, heavily involved. Uh, um, I, I was basically the lead for building a, uh, a renewable energy center using methane gas off of a, off of a landfill, uh, built one of the largest, um, largest landfill uh, methane to power plants in the United States. That was an incredibly fun project. And then from there, and of course I did several other smaller projects. And from there, I, uh, I had the opportunity to be promoted into a project oversight role for, for the large utility that I worked for. Um, and in that position, I did project oversight and project coaching for projects across the entire organization. So anywhere from transmission to distribution to digital projects to building services to nuclear to non-nuclear generation to, to hydro power plants um, to solar plants across the entire gamut of the whole corporation. So that's really where my passion for project management really started growing and and where I saw the incredible benefit of, of structured project management like is defined by the project management institute how how um, how that structured management really benefits projects 
Um, so that's where the passion for me, um, I, so I was, I was coaching across a company, uh, project management standards, project management best practices. And I thought to myself, well, why am I only coaching for one company when I can coach for all the companies? So that's kind of what got me started into thinking about expanding out into um, being a being a project management coach um, across all industries and and across the world, really. Awesome, awesome. So I want to I want to circle back a little bit to your experience, and then I want to talk a little bit more about um, some of the things you've learned through project management best practices, and also how you can help some other other companies that are maybe struggling with that. Um, but first, you know, you have such a you have a you have a long storied career in power generation, um, a little bit longer than mine, uh, and I've seen a lot of changes in my time. Um, could you expand a little bit? You said you built one of the largest renewable plants in methane. What what year was that? And what's it been like through through this transition of what it used to be like twenty something years ago to where we're trending today? Yeah, the the world is crazy, it, it, and it, it just it never see, ceases to amaze me how fast things change and how fast they, things stay the same too. Uh, so <laughs> when I say that, I'm like the need for power and the and the uh, um, I, I, the desire is I don't know if that's the right word. Just there's there's so much demand for power and it's just going up, right? I mean, what where are we going to go with electric vehicles and power in the power generation requirements for that? I don't know. Um, so the methane, methane, burning methane off of, um, off of landfills that became a big thing in like the late two thousands, mm -hmm. um, up even to like 2015, 2016, uh, there was a, there was a giant market segment, uh, of building, uh, those, those power plants that burned the methane off of, off of landfills. Uh, that project that I did was in the 2010, 2012 timeframe. And that that is really kind of kind of when the the market kind of took a giant shift from well maybe we can do distrib smaller distributed generation as opposed to these big giant large uh, you know large um, coal fired nuclear power plants the the more of the centralized generation and you know the the whole the whole world has taken off from that and and uh, even our company. Uh, uh, the utility I work for has transformed from uh, uh, moving moving um, um, investment from the central power plants out to that distributed energy and and, and uh, like really committed to it. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, being in power, we all know that that's that's going to be a big part if we really want to start to get to more renewable energy. You got to have you got to have some local sources there in the, in the markets that they're serving. Uh, so that's cool. That that's cool. You've been on the front lines of that. Um, I'm curious about uh, why you think those projects stop with the methane. The reason why I ask, I'll give you a little bit of, of my history. I used to work for a large boiler OEM, and one of the inter international markets is trash burning power plants, right? Where instead of burying the trash in Europe and um, Denmark, they actually take the trash, incinerate it, have all the environmental controls, and they don't have to bury anything, so don't have that methane. That hasn't seemed to catch on at all in the United States, even after China stopped accepting our trash. Why do you think that is? Um, that's a good question. I, um, my guess is probably emissions. Uh, every, every time you build something like that, um, you, you have to go and get, you have to go and get the permits. And, mm -hmm. 
it is it's years in the making to get all the required permits for new source review. Uh, so, you know, dealing with the federal government, state governments to get those kind of permits to build those facilities. It's yeah. it's much easier to go after a solar plant or a, or a wind a wind farm. Yeah, I, I'll be interested. I, I my prediction is in the next ten years we'll start talking a lot more about how we bury all our trash and this stuff will come back to the front line again. And hopefully we'll be solving that issue. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, so I appreciate the the background there. Uh, so you were running these projects and then you transitioned into where you had more of over oversight role. What got you interested in, in helping other people run projects better versus you running projects yourself? Uh, yeah. So, um, I, I really, I really got interested in the, uh, the, ad, uh, the administration of, uh, the, I like structure, right? I, I'm an engineer by trade, right? Uh, that's how, that's how my brain works. I want to structure things. And, um, project management has been a, a, a long, around for a long time. Project Management Institute's been around for a long time, right? Um, we were getting into the point where we decided that, you know, this is a good thing and we're going to implement it across the entire company. And I love the structure, right? I love, there, there's, a, there's a stage to everything and, and it's pretty well defined, right? And, and that, that kind of amps me up of, of Here's the things that you need to get done for this stage, and, and and there's not a there's not a lot of gray to it, right? And then once that's done, now you can move into the next stage. And um, I I've always had kind of the ability to um, explain really complex things in in simple terms, mm-hmm. and it uh, I, I so I was really good at being able to take complex complex thoughts and complex processes and explaining it to the project managers who are trying to implement it, and I I love helping. I love helping out the, the guys who are out there doing the stuff. Um, it's sometimes it's really hard to see what you're doing when you're real close to it, but people who are maybe a little bit further away can kind of see clearly like, Hey, if you just make this little adjustment, I think you're going to see a lot of gains. I love being able to do that for, um, for the project managers that I work with and seeing how their project just turns a corner and all of a sudden they're, they're headed towards success. Yeah. So it it, um, it sounds like you like the people aspect of it too. I mean, obviously the process is that's how you help people be successful. But it sounds like you like that aspect as well. I do. I I, I love seeing um, I love seeing uh, the folks that I help grow, and and get even better at what they do. And and you know I work with some of the best, and and there's always something we can always learn. Yeah. I uh I was a I was a project manager on field construction sites a, a long time back. I wouldn't call myself that anymore. But uh, the you hear some of the pushback around standardization from certain project managers of I need I don't need processes I need the latitude to be able to do what I need to do on this project and I'll make that decision. Uh, do you ever come across that and wh- how do you respond to something like that? Never. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> no. Uh, so that's a, that's daily. That's daily in my job. Um, the how do I respond to it? Um, I, I also like for my project managers to have latitude, but there is a certain point where um, how I try to explain it to them is you are accepting and dealing with with risk that's that's not yours to own. Mm-hmm. That there there is there is someone else at the company that owns the risk that you're trying to deal with, right? It's it's way above you, and that that's not that's not I'm 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 not trying to. To, to be mean or you know about it it's that um that 
they're they're taking on more than they should own. And yeah. I tried to explain it that way that man you, you're going you're going to end up in trouble. You're you're doing something that isn't really your decision to make. Yeah. I and I've unfortunately seen that play out too where um I was fortunate to learn that lesson at an arm's length away where um a project manager was making those decisions and being very candid, I think the company didn't mind that he was making those decisions. But when push came to shove and those decisions were called into question, the project manager was ultimately on the hook for not elevating the information through the proper channels in an official way. And I was right. like, wait a second, I'm pretty sure you were talking to him. And okay, <laughs> that was an right. eye for me. And that was, I actually had someone explain it something similar to me with that, where, hey, if you make this decision, you own it. It's not your decision to make. You feel like you have to make it. It's a, not a great decision. It's tough information to pass on. But if you don't pass it on, you own it. And then you don't have a good reason to own it. And that that coupled with what I saw was enough to scare me into like, I'm going to elevate these things that need to be elevated and you know keep my butt out of hot water because I'm not out here to get fired. I'm here to do a good job. And if this is what you define as a good job, then I'll call. <laughs> right. So that's what I tried to explain to my project managers is, that structure is there to protect you. Uh, uh, so, so you're not out, e even if you're not, right, that, that, that the appearance that you're out there being rogue, that, you, that you're not. Um, and the right level of decision-making is at the right level in the, in the structure. Yeah. Um, so uh, let, let's, say, let's say that we have some people listening here that are wondering, you know, what, what can a what can a project management coach help me with, or how can a project management coach help my organization? Um, maybe we have inconsistent project execution. We have some processes. Um, how could you come in and help us? Sure, um, I I can help from from any range of level, right? At the thirty thousand foot level, I can help take a look at a company's um, uh, processes for approving projects. Like for example. Maybe maybe they have a really loose way of their approving projects. Maybe they need a formal gated uh, approval process. And you know there there are companies, large utilities across the board, who some some of them have eleven gates, some of them have two, right? And that that uh, that's just going to kind of depend on the on um, on the culture of the company, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, we can go, we can go down another level and, it, um, do, do you need, do you need someone to take a look at your procedures? Do they work right? Do you have the right thing in, in your procedures? I can look at that all the way down to, uh, individual project coaching, right? So right now across the board, um, uh, the average, the average across, across projects in the United States, the average project, um, spends 11.4% of their project costs on waste. Hmm. So if, if you think about that, let's say you're a medium-sized company and you're spending, I don't know, let's say $200 million a year on projects. Well, you, you could essentially just light $20 million on fire and you and, and it's the same result, right? So yeah. maybe, 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 I, maybe you bring me in and I work with your project managers and you cut that in half, right? Let, let's say you are the average company. You just went from 20 million in loss down to 10. Well, what can you do with $10 million in additional profits? Right? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a huge number. Yep. Uh, so I'd say that's the bottom line is um, coming in and helping, helping the project managers get more structured, 
kind of figure out, okay, where, where, where are we missing? Where are we missing the boat? Where, where are things getting lost and where are we losing money? Yeah. Um, and I'm almost across the board where I see that happening is the way that project managers communicate and how they communicate. And, and certainly I can, I can offer some coaching in that area. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so if there's uh, some if there's some young project managers out there, do you also help work with individual project managers? Maybe they're not in a large or maybe they are in a large organization, but they feel like they need this coaching. Do you also provide that as well? Yeah, I certainly can. It's a uh, the, the it's even sometimes easier to work with younger project managers because they're eager to learn instead of pushing back against <laughs> against uh, maybe some good advice. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what, what's that? What's that saying? Uh, it's you can't learn what you already know. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> the, the cup that's already full. Yeah. I'll borrow from borrow from Avatar a little bit there. Yeah. No, I, no, I got this. I've got no, your project <laughs> is you're off critical path. You have all these change orders. No, I'm good. I've got this. Yes. Right. <laughs> I don't need your help. <laughs> hear that a lot. Uh, that's a uh, so uh, if you're a, if you're a company that feels like you need uh, some project management support, reach out to Brad. Uh, I know there's some utility folks that listen to this, depending on what your what utility you're at. Uh, you were looking around your organization and you're looking for leadership and you're looking for someone to help lead a process. Call Brad, because as everybody knows, it's not a it's not like these things can't be done internally necessarily. It's more of everybody's so busy, everyone's got day jobs. You bring Brad, and he's able to come in, help out, focus on the problem, and uh, and get you to the finish line. Is that, you is got that accurate? It. Yep, you got it. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Uh, so now I want to talk a little bit about um, some of the stuff that I'm a little more interested in, some buyer trends, uh, just understanding in this portion, we want to understand a little bit about um, the way you find new vendors, the way you evaluate new vendors, how much digital plays into that. Um, you were talking a little bit earlier about distributed generation, and I feel like uh, what's happened in the power space is there was not only is generation being distributed more there used to be a handful of players that did this and now with the introduction of solar and wind and offshore wind there's a lot more new players in the market and there's a lot more things to learn um so do you feel like those are you are you seeing some of the same things or do you um or do you disagree with that no i i think that's absolutely true the you, the, the term we keep hearing right and and I, I've heard it argued as a good term, and I've heard it argued as a term not to use. Is the term disruptive, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you've heard the same thing. Oh, don't say disruptive. Yeah, uh, I, I think it is disruptive, right? But I, but the context of that word is that depends on how you take it. Um, you look at companies like uh, like Rivian, right? Is Rivian disruptive? Well, I would say yes, but in a good way in a capitalistic market, right? So now you've got who, who's your players in this market? Who really are the players? Well, Tesla is your player. Um, um, Ford looks like they're going to be a player, right? Uh, but Rivian is like right there on the cusp, and they are going to steal market share from Tesla. I guarantee they are. Um, is it disruptive? Well, yeah, it's disruptive. But also, does that lead to there's 24 other car manufacturers out there that go, oh, wow, we can do that too. Yeah. Right? And now now all of us, the consumer, we all benefit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, it, it, it's definitely happening. The, the companies are companies are forming and they've got these great ideas and they're like, hey, the, the, the term I love 
um, is is um, that I love to kill is that's the way we've always done it. <laughs> I, I, I actually have a little button here. It actually says that. With the little... <laughs> you got to be a right. progress. Right, right. So um, I love these companies that come in and say, why, why are you doing it that way? The, we, the, we can do it this way and it's more effective, right? And they come in and, and, they, and they explode, right? Uh, like Amazon, I guess. Amazon's a good example, right? You don't need to go to Walmart. Just order it on your computer and we'll deliver it to your house. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, yeah, I probably I probably get hammered on the internet for saying that, but uh, <laughs> the idea of it, right, is like these people are out there innovating and making this stuff happen. So uh, you talk about distributed generation, right? S- solar um, solar farms. Mm-hmm. So we're we're not at the point yet in solar farms where it's like everybody's looking at it and saying, "Oh, that's the way." There yeah. there certainly are a lot of people, but not everyone's convinced. And not because solar generation doesn't work. It's because people go, well, it's not, uh, you can't depend on it. Yeah. Well, okay, but I look at it and say, there are 5 million people right now, this very minute, who are working on the battery solutions for that or whatever storage solution it is. And those 5 million people are brilliant. They're going to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, so I look at it and say, uh, you know, out in front of my house, there's like, there's like, I don't know, maybe 20 acres that it's for sale. Um, uh, you know, the farmer owns it next to me. Um, I can see where my subdivision buys that 20 acres and we go and there's some special bank that all they do is finance, um, finance solar, uh, you solar. know, distribute community solar. And my subdivision buys and builds a solar farm. I, I could see that happening. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I'm I'm here in Northeast Ohio, and uh, Cleveland just zoned a specific area for community solar, and it's re- it's zoned um, it's zoned industrial to try and attract the to try and attract heavy more some lighter heavy manufacturers that are going to use that power supply, and then they're having guarantee of consistent power supply at consistent rates and. I mean, you can see where they're using it. It's it's great for the environment, but they're also trying to frame it, and it is as a competitive advantage. As, and you know, you can look at the language as the environment, as uh, the effects of climate change pick up, and there's more bad weather. We're going to be able to supply the power right there at the source to you and your operations, and for your critical infrastructure, I believe is what they're actually saying. Right. So you're kind of getting to kind of getting to the the competitive market, right? So what does that do when you have when you have I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but when you have subdivision homeowners associations looking to get into the power generation business, now all of a sudden your big boys have to rethink their strategy, right? Mm-hmm. And and you, you're you're opening it up to to other companies saying, well, wait a minute, what are they doing? Maybe we could buy from them. They they yep. they, they seem to they seem to know what they're doing. Yeah, and it, yeah. I would. I lived in California for about ten years, and when I was leaving California, it was a uh, you had to be able to. Ex- you had to be able to accept power back to the grid. And so the meter had to start running both ways, which is a crazy concept for utilities, I'm sure. Right. Uh, great if you're the homeowner, right? They're sitting there, they're selling power at peak time uh, back into the grid. And so uh, it, it, it was interesting uh, living through those, just those conversations happening out there. I haven't really paid too much of attention to it since I left, but I, I thought it was interesting. Um. So you've switched just by the nature of the business 
you know, you started out in nuclear, you did some work with methane. It sounds like you've done some other stuff on re on renewables. You've, you've touched the gamut of power generation hydro you had mentioned. Um, so when you're looking to when you're looking to run a project in a new area um, like whatever the new whatever the new environmental technology is, how do you go about familiarizing yourself with that subject? Uh, yeah, so I'm going to speak in terms of, of large utility, right? Mm -hmm. So certainly there are things out there where we just don't have the expertise. Yeah. So what are we going to do? We're going to, we're going to commission a study, mm -hmm. right? And what, how are we going to do that study? Well, okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to reach out to our, to our engineering, uh, partners or the engineering, the larger engineering firms that we have used in the past. And again, I'm talking garden variety here, right? This, yeah, not yeah. always, but uh, we're we're going to reach out to to our to our large engineering partners. You know, the 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 Qwits of the world and the and the um, and the Burns and McDonalds of the world, right? We're gonna we're gonna reach out to them, and we're gonna say, hey, you know, we're looking into this. We we'd like a study. Are you do you guys want to do this a study, or do you know someone who who's ex who is expertise in this and we can reach out to them, right? Yeah. So that's how that's going to work. That's just going to work through through chain chains. Uh, uh, it's going to be from from management type level people, right, mid to senior level people who are reaching out through their experience to to other mid to senior level folks in those big blocks of engineering space. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. How about when you need to learn a specific subject? Do you do you rely? So do you do you rely on the study to educate yourself on that specific subject, or do you also go online and perform your own research? And um, I'm just curious what that mix looks like. Yeah, I'm definitely going to go out and, and do some research on my own. Um, <laughs> not, nowadays, you got to be a little bit weary of what you're reading, right? Like you, you go out and start reading about fission on Wikipedia, you might you might be you might be going down the wrong path. Right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Uh, certainly, I'm going to go out and I'm going to I'm going to educate myself, but I'm going to go to probably more established areas of the internet uh, to get yeah. that kind of thing, right? Like, um, I I don't know, like the like the Epries of the world. That's where I'm going to go. Yeah, and uh, just out of curiosity, if a um, if a large if a large brand, for lack of a better term, engineering company was producing that type of content where it was truly educational and not slanted toward that company would you consume that and trust that or would you st stay away from that type of material oh no i i, I would definitely read and, and so you're talking about like a white paper right that uh yeah that, uh, yeah yeah i would i would definitely read download read a white paper from an engineering firm that uh you know uh, it doesn't even have to be a larger one I'm going to look at the credentials of the folks who were involved, right? Um, who, who commissioned it, who sponsored it, who wrote yeah. it. And then I'm definitely going to consume that and read that. that. That that You brought up an interesting point there. So what's more important to you, the brand or the individual? Um, you know, in today's day and age, I, I, I've never been asked that before. I, um, I would say... I would say I probably give them equal weighting. Yeah. Right. Because I might not know a person, but if it's coming from, you know, a certain kind of resource, like again, I'm I'm going to throw out names, but if it's coming yeah. from the GEs of the world, yeah, I'm going to read it. Right. I'm going to yeah. say, oh, I, that that seems probably trustworthy. Yeah. 
and then probably look at the person too and make sure if it's uh what their what their experience is like too right right if it if it was if it was written by um by an intern i'm I'm probably gonna give it a grain of salt (laughs) yeah right yeah (laughs) i want to know that experience is real Uh, okay that uh appreciate appreciate that um because you know we we talk a lot at engaging perspectives about creating content that actually helps inform your customer and uh we talk we talk a lot about the buying process has changed and um you know the oems and the engineers they used to have all the information and fast forward that's not really true today and so i feel like companies are in this position where it's so uncomfortable for them to be very transparent and make things that don't have an end objective except for to educate your audience and they are reluctant to do that because they don't really see the value when our position is it's there these people are going to go get the information if you can help them get it it's going to be good for you and you're going to be able to start to communicate with your customer instead of them having to go around you to get the information because you want them to call and talk to somebody yeah so i i love um there's a story and, and maybe you've heard this story there's a story out of um dale carnegie like how to win friends and influence people right i i, I love i i love the dale carnegie stuff uh, i've read that book Oh yeah, so you probably remember the story about Chuck Yeager. Mm-mm. Oh, I okay. Don't. So Chuck Yeager, um, you, you know who Chuck Yeager is pretty much everybody does, right? Our our age. Um, so Chuck Yeager, right, famous test flight pilot. Um, he was he was getting ready to fly, or he was flying. I think it was like the X thirty six or something like that. It was one of those X numbered planes. Um, he so he, uh, he 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 took off and the plane exploded. Right. I mean, he almost died. Yeah. And the root cause of it all is basically it came down to they put the wrong fuel in the thing. Okay. So Chuck Yeager, uh, so it's time to fly. They got another one. It's time to fly it. Chuck Yeager went to McDonnell Douglas, I think it was, and said, the mechanic who was who prepped the first one, I want him on the airplane. And uh, (laughs) and they're like, "Uh, okay. So, um, Chuck Yeager's out. He's getting ready to fly. The mechanic's out there, and he's like, right, "Chuck, I'm so honored. Like that. Like, I can't believe you wanted me on this again. Like, I almost killed you." And he said, "Why did you? Why did you want me on this again?" And Chuck Yeager said, "Because I knew you wouldn't do it again." <laughs> so, so I, I want to use that story and just kind of move propel propel forward here a little bit. <laughs> when it comes to like, who am I going to listen to? The folks with the lessons learned who are honest about it, like they have learned the most, like, oh my gosh, we messed this thing up. How do we fix it? Right. They learned more from the failures than they ever did from, oh, we got lucky. Right? Yeah. So if, when, when I, when I read things like, when I read things like, oh, and I'm, I, I'm going to read between the lines here a little bit, but like, oh, we messed up, but here's how we fixed it. Mm-hmm. Right. I say, oh, those people have the experience I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a tough thing for, I do. I don't understand it, but it's so tough for companies to do that, for them to admit their faults. Like every, every project doesn't go well. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's for you only to talk about your wins isn't isn't genuine. And when I see that stuff, I roll my eyes and think like, well, I haven't heard about a loss ever. So, you, wow, you must be the greatest company I've ever heard of because <laughs> you never. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. You never have issues. 
uh, or, or when you see a company that has issues and you, you know, everyone comes out of the woodwork, oh, I can't believe they did that. And you're like thinking, I've worked with that. I've worked with you too. And I, that could have happened to your company just the same, but. Right, exactly. <laughs> Uh, the internet, the internet's changing all that, right? It's out there for everyone to see now. I think that's, I think it's, it's becoming less, uh, it's, it's becoming less easy for people to, to act like that when, you know, people like you, you have access to your peers across all the utilities. If you wanted to connect with another project manager at, um, a large utility that's five, 10 States away, you could do that. If you want to connect with someone, a utility in Europe, you could do that and understand what's happening in their projects. So absolutely. And, and in like, um, for the for the utility folks out there or people who work with utilities, like if you work in the nuclear play, space, you should absolutely know that they share, they unab- unabatedly share those experiences with each other, mm-hmm. right? So if you show up at a site and you, at a, like particularly a nuclear site, but the utilities in general, if if you as a as a supplier or a contractor or show up show up at a site and you think that they haven't heard about something that happened, you're wrong. <laughs> Uh, you're busting a lot of people's bubble right now, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's keep moving down this list here. So um, I'm curious. Uh, so we, we we talked a little bit offline and we, we both understand the value in relationships. And that's where, you know, that's where everyone wants to go in the space. But I'm curious in a situation where you don't have relationships, you don't really know who to call for a certain service. How would you go about figuring out who you wanted to at least start to talk to. Uh, so, so this is a, this is a great topic and I'm dealing with this right now daily. Um, so I kind of want to set the stage here a little bit. Okay. And I'm going to talk about from, from a large, from a large utilities perspective, or maybe a large corporation's perspective versus, uh, the, the supplier or the contractor who wants to do business with that large utility, uh, I kind of frame it that way. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that. And, and again, the, I'm not so sure about this, the medium and the smaller companies, but from a large corporation, I, I can tell you that generally this is what's going on. Everybody in today's age is about, is kind of about two things. Number one is streamlining processes and reducing risk. Okay. Those are two giant things that, that, that the big corporations like the big utilities are after. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how, how does that work in procurement space? Okay. Uh, um, so w- w- one of the first things that we need to talk about is streamlining. Okay. So the large, the large corporations, um, when, when you're setting up a new supplier, it's very difficult, right? Because of today's day and age and, and lawsuits and, and cybersecurity and all the protections that you have to set up, it can take forever to negotiate terms, to negotiate contracts. And the procurement folks who, who already have a stack of work on their desk do not want to take on the effort of doing of of creating from scratch these brand new things, right? Mm-hmm. So they have come down to where they've made this like consolidated list of who's who. who here's who we're going to work with, mm-hmm. and, and and generally how that works is we've already done a whole bunch of pre-negotiation on terms of conditions and what do, what do what are the contracts going to look like and rates and all that kind of thing. Because though it takes it takes so long to get through that, and for large corporations to vet the suppliers to say we think we think not only are you stable financially that you can deliver the things that 
that you that we're that we're buying from you but also when we buy your thing we're not going to have we're, we're not going to expose 20 million of our customers social security numbers because we installed your piece of equipment yeah right so the, the 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 buying side of large corporations is looking to is looking to have kind of a core group of core group of suppliers that they buy stuff from and that they've and that they've already negotiated rates and we've already done all our investigations to make sure that um, that our our risk is reduced right mm-hmm. so the, the the key for um, for for suppliers or contractors that want to get that want to get those kind of contracts is you got to start talking to you got to start talking to the supplier folks right and you got to start establishing those relationships with the folks that actually buy stuff because there's a disconnect generally between engineering the, the engineers out there who want want to buy stuff and the procurement guys who are buying the stuff they don't always they don't always talk the best and the procurement guys may not understand exactly what the engineers are after and the engineers don't understand the buying process so people get everybody gets frustrated right mm-hmm. um so to get you, you really need to start establishing those relationships with the buying folks it's it's both right it's the engineering folks it's the business lines, but it's also establishing those relationships with the buying folks. So you can pick up the phone and you can have that conversation and, and it doesn't have to be uh, an argument or all these formalities, right? It's, 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 it's how does business get done? It's, it's done on the, on the personal relationship level, right? It always has been, it always will be. Yeah. Um, and then the other part of that is when, when large corporations run into extreme difficulties in negotiating contracts, negotiating terms and conditions, there's another guy who's probably got a thing close to yours and we're, we're, we're just going to walk away. Right. It's, it's too pain. If it's too painful, we're, we're, we're going to go another direction. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so that, that helps someone that's already in there. So I think that's good. How, how would you suggest that? Um, Cause, and you also hit on another thing. It's, it's not, it's not a buying person. It's buying teams in most instances. Yeah. Um, I know you've got to get through that first gate of being approved, which mostly it's probably is mostly supply chain. Um, but uh, how do you how do you suggest uh, how do you suggest people start to get in front of those buyers? How do you suggest people start to to get in front of the whole buying team? So when everyone sits at the table, they say, "Oh yeah, we want ABC Construction Company to be a part of it to be a part of this bid event." Okay, so I, I love I love this this question. There are several there are several paths that I think are, are best to go down. Number one is um, you've you've got to visit the people. I, I'm telling yeah. you, I cannot tell you how many emails I get a day. Uh, let's call it a cold call email. <laughs> I know, yeah. Delete. Right. If if you don't if you don't uh, if you how do I put this? If you're not willing to to come and visit me and spend an hour with me in person, then I'm really just not even going to, I'm really not even going to consider, I don't know any, I don't even know your name, right? I, yeah. I know the name of the company, but if I don't know your name, if, if there's not somebody I can call like, hello, Craig, this is, this is broke, right? Yeah. I, I, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to do business with you. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the, the sec, so establishing those personal relationships but not with email or phone or phone phone calls. And I know that's really hard to do in, in the time of COVID. But if if you can if you can make those visits, right? Um, especially in your local region. I know that's a lot harder if you if you have to 
if you're in Kansas City and you have to fly to Washington, I, I get it. Yeah. But starting with those that local area, right? And like, hey, I'm a local guy. I want to do business with the local people around me. Go make those visits, right? Yeah. Um, the second part of that is what technical training do you have to offer? Mm. Right. So this is, hey, I'm I'm valve manufacturer XYZ. We're getting ready to have a three day training uh, for for our uh, to to qualify some of our uh, our repair shops. We'd love for you to come and just sit in the training. Yeah. Right. I love those because not only not only and, and not only are you offering me something of value. Now I'm going and I can actually see some of the people and some of the things that you're that you are that you're wanting to sell me. Mm-hmm. And I can see that you have the technical knowledge about what it is that you're providing. Yeah. Right. So those 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 if you have those kind of training events, invite invite the the potential client like engineers or project managers, invite them to the training. Set yeah. up like get them get them in your building and get them in the classroom. Yeah. Um, would you attend any virtual training like that? And the reason Absolutely. why I ask is because of like the COVID situation, right? Because I, when I was in business development, I, that's I agree with you 100. You can't, I, uh, you can't. It's difficult to form relationships over the computer. Like you want to look in the, you want to look the person in the eye, you want to shake their hand, they want to know you're willing to show up and travel wherever. I feel like that's been challenged a lot through COVID, where a lot of customers aren't accepting those type of meetings. And some of the things that we've seen play out is where um, maybe if they are accepting those meetings, they don't have as much time as they did previously, so they're accepting less of them. So the new player that's trying to get in there is challenged if they're just trying to go the traditional ways of email, call, follow up in person, because that chain doesn't necessarily work when people are so busy and they can only get so many meetings in. Um, is that, are you yeah. seeing some of the same things or not really? Oh yeah, and I, I me personally, I would definitely attend virtual training. Um, yeah. I, I have, I've attended virtual training. Now it's a little bit harder to concentrate, right? But you still get, if if it's video, right? Like this, mm-hmm. you still get the person's face and you still get their name and you still get, okay, when I see that person again, I know who they are, right? Yeah. So when you talk about rapport, right? That's a big thing in sales is rapport. Th- there are two components to rapport, rapport right? Um, one of them is one of them is um, is technical knowledge. Does does mm-hmm. the guy know what he's talking about, right? Yeah. And trust. Do I trust that person? Yeah. Right. Um, so inviting inviting the the folks that you want to sell to, not the procurement folks, but like the actual end user guys, inviting them to no strings attached training is for me just pays. I I think for those type of folks pays huge huge dividends. Yeah, that and that plays right into what we were talking about earlier, where it's, you know, genuinely try and help your customers, whether it's digital content and white papers, whether it's in-person or remote training, trying to help your customer is the best strategy, even if it doesn't pay off initially all the time. That's, I mean, I get confused when everyone's playing the short game where everyone needs an end result immediately because that's, that's not the way the world works. And when you drive towards that immediate result, you end up doing things that you would never do that could jeopardize the long-term stability of a relationship and all that kind of stuff. Instead of taking a step back and saying, how can we help the buyer in today's day? How can we help the project manager in today's day doing things that are genuinely for them and not for the company? Um, it's not... I'm, 
sounds like with you and you're not unique in the sense that pays dividends. I just unfortunately don't see a lot of companies doing that right now. Yeah. Um, I, I always think if you, if you can, if you can put out value out into the world, you're in some way, shape or form, that value is going to come back to you. Yep. Absolutely. The, uh, Our, another, just another real quick, yeah. another real quick way that I just want to mention, cause I've seen this successfully done is perhaps, perhaps you as a supplier, you can't get directly in with the, with the big, with the big guy, deep pocket guy that you want to get in with. But maybe there is another way to do that because there are already established, I don't know, I'm going to say 8,000 different people, uh, contractors, uh, suppliers who have already established those. Maybe there's a way to third party sell. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a good point. I, and I, I don't don't see a lot of that either. Right. Who's already in there? And um that that's interesting too, because if you're if you're a company that's in that spot, maybe you trend more towards the small to medium size, um, and you're wondering how you're going to do that. I also think you have to look at creating educational and helpful content for the main the the bigger players, your um, your general contractor type that's going right. to own that contract. Yes, yes, because the um, a lot of times your your utility folks. We, we're going to look to the general contractor and say, hey, we have this technical question. Please answer. Right. Yep. Um, they probably don't know. But uh, if let's say let's say they have gone to the training of of um, of large cable supplier. Right. Yeah. And now now they can't answer that question or they can go directly to their supplier, large cable supplier and say, hey, our our customer has this question. Can you answer it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I could go on with this uh, this interview for an hour, but I want to be respectful of everyone's time uh, and our listeners as well. We uh, try really hard not to go over an hour, and we're approaching it now. Uh, and as, uh, talking about adding value, one of the ways that we'd like to add value to all the people that listen to our podcast is uh, the, the beginning of the story, hearing how people's career journey. But then we also really like to talk about foundational habits. Most successful people I meet have some sort of ritual, set of rituals or set of habits that set them up for success on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, whatever it may be. And so we ask everyone to talk about what is your most impactful set of habits as a ritual or the most successful habit that you believe sets you up for success that other people can adopt? I'd say... Uh... You're hitting, you're hitting me up with a surprise question. Um, <laughs> no, no worries. So, uh, not that long ago, um, I read, I read a book called Tribe of Mentors. You ever heard of it? Yep. Uh, I haven't have, read it, but I've heard of it. Okay. Uh, so basically the author went out and he asked like 300 people, very successful people, the same 11 questions and they all answered them. Right. And hmm. about if you read the book, about, there's about three things that come across um, generally for for all of them in success. The first one is they all have some way to burn off stress, whether mm -hmm. it's meditating or running or powerlifting or, um, or you name you name thing. They have something that that's their go to. Right? Yeah. Uh, for for me, it's uh, for me it's lifting. Uh, yeah. um, I, I do hit training, so for me it's hit training, and and walking my dogs. Um, that, that's, that's pretty ritualistic for me. Um, the, the second thing that they all have in common is every single one of them says, I learned how to say no. Mm. Okay. <laughs> um, I've not quite figured that one out, but, uh, but certainly there are techniques to, 
very nicely say no, even if you are in a large corporation and you know you're being demanded. There's there's way there's 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 at, uh, eloquent ways to say no, right? Yeah. So learning how to say no and and keep your keep your pile low. Yeah. Um, I, I think those are those are probably the the top two. Nice. Um, I, uh, I the the say no one's interesting because I. I struggle with that today. Still, I'm, I want to say yes to everything. I'm ambitious. I like to, I like challenges. I like meeting new people. I enjoy working. So I'm a yes person. Okay, let's try it, you know? Um, and I found myself consistently in that situation where you get yourself, oh crap, I have way too much on my plate now. Now I have to work an absorbent amount of hours to work all this stuff off or disappoint people, which I don't want to do because I said yes to something. Um, one of the ways that I've found that has helped me it hasn't helped me say no, but it's at least helped me understand what I'm getting into is I am very religious about planning out my quarters and then getting that down from my quarters down to my months and down to my weeks. And mm-hmm. then I have this thing. I have a tool called Trello, which someone turned me on to, which is awesome. Yeah, and I, I can Trello. move back. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. so helpful. And so I have that set up where it's, you know, things that I need to get done this month, things I need to get done this week, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And so I can start to see very visually what I'm signing up to. And I I tell my wife sometimes my to-do list is longer than my screen. And she knows like, okay, I'm very busy that day. Like I need to just get all this stuff done because my to-do list is normally half the size of my screen. So yeah. uh, that's one way that I found that that doesn't help me actually say no. I still say yes sometimes, but at least I'm more conscious of what I'm saying yes to and everything I'm signing up for. Yeah. And, and, and one more for me, and, yeah. and I have to remind myself of this every single day, and that is going into the day, starting the day with the proper mindset. Now, mm-hmm. I, now I know that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of a generic, that's kind of generic saying mindset, but I, I kind of like to think, I, I, I put things in my mind, things like um, another person's opinion of me is none of my business. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or or, um, if I get called into a meeting, you know, that, oh, the 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 intent of this meeting is not to be in trouble. The intent of this meeting is somebody's going to say, oh, he's what a great job your team did. Right. Um, So it's just constantly trying to trying to put get put myself in that right mindset at the beginning of the day. So I I'm not I'm not um, I'm not um, constantly. going on the defensive all day long. Yep. I hear that. That's why I wake up early. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I it, The later I wake up, the more the day gets me. And the earlier I wake up, the more I can get after the day. And I don't like necessarily waking up early, but I enjoy attacking the day. So, uh, Brad, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this has been another episode of The Buyer's Market. Appreciate everyone who tuned in and especially everyone that made it here to the end. Uh, Thanks for sticking with us. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode, we ask that you please like and subscribe for whatever podcast channel you listen to. And also check out our clips on LinkedIn. And if you like our clips, actually pressing the like button does a lot to help distribute the podcast. So please make that extra effort and give us that digital like. Thanks again, Brad. Thank you.